Worship is talking about what you give worth to. It has to do with how we live our lives. There is an invisible battle over your worship. Have you ever been thrown into a fiery furnace? In today's broadcast of Living Strong with Micah Corona, Pastor Micah provides insight from the book of Daniel on true worship and standing strong when the heat gets turned up. When it comes to living out our faith in this culture, we have to have a spiritual toughness. And here's the question that we're asking during the series is how can we live strong in our faith in a culture that is compromised? Okay, so now the book of Daniel is a playbook for us to be able to see how Daniel and actually his friends stood strong in the face of a compromised culture that they were placed into. Okay, so fortunately for us, the Old Testament book of Daniel, it gives us some really healthy examples as to how we can live a strong faith. Nebuchadnezzar was a violent, unpredictable ruler. He was self-absorbed. He, he was a proponent of, of idol worship. And somewhere along the line, he had this huge statue built. It was 90 feet tall, nine feet wide. It was made of gold. And they had this big dedication service. All right, And everybody came to it. All the political leaders, all the spiritual leaders would have been there. All the citizens would have come out. And so in Daniel chapter 3, verse 4, we find out that you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Now, every Jewish person who had been brought there, has a decision to make. Who am I going to worship? That was the question. Do I reject my godly heritage and step in line with the cultural beliefs of those who have taken me captive? So the music played and everybody bows. Every Babylonian bows. Every Jewish person bows, except for three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so the king's men, they bring it to the king's uh, attention and they play to his ego and they say, hey, look, this is an affront to your authority, king. And so then in verse 12, it says that there were certain Jews who, you know, he's, they're telling on, they're tattling on these three guys. There are certain Jews set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who paid no attention to you. They do not serve your gods, nor do they worship the, Im- the image of gold that you've set up. So these three Jewish guys, they will not bow down and worship this graven image. They knew from the Ten Commandments that they were not supposed to do this. So rather than bow, they chose to take a stand. Now, Nebuchadnezzar was a powerful general. In four decades of leadership, he had not lost one single battle. And now he hears that that three of these Jews have disobeyed his orders, and he's mad. Look at verse 13. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summons Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, So is it true that you guys do not serve my gods or the worship the image of gold I've set up? And then he says, Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image I made, Very good. I'm giving you a second chance. 
But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing fire. Then what God will be able to deliver you from my hand? This is an angry man, and he's challenging their God, but he asks what God, small g, because see, he wasn't acquainted with the one true capital G G God yet, all right? So the king, at this time, he resorts to intimidation, and he says, look, I'll I'll give you a second chance, but just make sure you understand the consequence of being disobedient. And you would think, at this point, these guys would huddle up Look and say, look, we're 700 miles away from home. How about we just do this? The next week or so, why don't we just lay low and we, and we bow down? But when we bow down, we'll really be praying to our God and everybody else just won't know it. And Satan all the while is whispering to them, saying, hey, what happens in Babylon stays in Babylon. <laughs> but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they are not, they're not listening to Satan's whispers. Because, watch this, when we refuse to bow, the world has its furnaces to put us in, doesn't it? Furnaces of scorn, furnaces of ridicule. So what may be at stake for you, it may be your job. It may be a dating relationship. It, it might be the way that your coworkers see you from now on, the way your schoolmates see you from now on. I mean, you could just feel all those eyes looking at you And when that happens, you need to make a right choice. And when the world asks you to bow, your boss asks you to do something unethical, or you're you're tempted to be consumed by fear as opposed to living by faith. These three men, when this happened, they would not alter their convictions to save their own hide. And on a daily basis, you and I, we are tempted to bow. Probably not to a 90-foot golden statue, but many of us, we are enticed in our own ways right? To bow down to maybe materialism, to indulge in lust, you know, to, or just to coast in your marriage and not build your marriage or build a strong family to coast as a parent. But the, but it all comes back to who are we to worship? And a lot of us don't realize that this is it. When we think about worship, we come to church, we raise our hands, we worship God, we sing the songs. But what I'm telling you is that is worship, but it's bigger than that. It has to do with how we live our lives. And here's the key point that I want to drive home today. And this is it. There is a battle for your worship. Let me say that again. There is an invisible battle over your worship. Now, I'm going to take a little detour from the story to explain to you what this battle for your worship actually means, okay? The battle for your worship started in the very beginning, and it will actually finish with the battle for worship. So I'm going to get a little bit deep on you for just a few minutes, and then we'll get back to the story, okay? Is that all right? All right, here we go. In the very beginning, before there was an Adam and Eve, in Isaiah and Ezekiel tell the story of how Lucifer, who was once an angel in God's court, he actually fell because he wanted to be worshiped. He was actually in charge of all the worship in heaven. So he was the worship leader. He was the main worshiper in charge of all of the worship. And one day, Isaiah 14 says that he decided that he wanted all that worship. Five times in the book of Isaiah, he says, I will be praised, I will be lifted up, I will be exalted. He wanted to be higher than God. Well, that didn't go over so well with God. So God cast him from heaven to the earth, the Bible says. And most scholars believe that that actually happened between Genesis 1-1 and 1-2. 
Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So everything would have been perfect because God was perfect. Verse 2, the earth was formless and void. Most scholars believe that that was when the Satan was cast to the earth and chaos began. So then in verse 3, God says, all right, we got to fix this. Let there be light. And one of the things that God did as far as putting things back into order, watch this. He created you and me with this unique distinction. I want you to see this because now there's no worship leader in heaven. He got fired. So guess who he gave that assignment to? He gave it to you and to me. And that's why Satan hates you so much. He's not just a little devil with a pitchfork, okay? He is angry because you now possess, you are now the one that has his job to worship God. And so there is a battle for your worship. It began with that and it'll end with that. And that's what we'll do forever is to praise and honor God because he created us with the ability to create music, to sing music. That's why most of us are consumed with music. We love music. We're impacted emotionally by music. It's built in. Psalm 150 says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. That's what we were created to do. And Satan hates you because of it. So this whole thing started with a battle over worship. And guess, the, guess what? Everything is going to end in a battle over worship as well. In the New Testament, the Bible says that there will be an Antichrist. And part of what this Antichrist will do is he's going to set up an idol of himself in the temple in Jerusalem. And he's going to force people to worship him. I'm going to show it to you in the Bible. I'm just going to teach this for just a few minutes, and then I'm going to talk with you about how it applies to us personally today. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. So this is talking about the Antichrist. Do not let anyone deceive you. And you might say, well, no, I'm not deceived. Well, that's what a deceived person would say. (laughs) If you ever say, I am deceived, then you're not deceived anymore. You're only deceived when you don't think you're deceived. Isn't that deep? You like that? So what it's saying is don't let anybody deceive you. And the reason he says that is because there's, there's a chance we could be deceived. And it says there is a day coming when the rebellion occurs and this man of lawlessness, that's what the Bible calls the Antichrist, the man is, is revealed, the man doomed for destruction. I love that it actually tacks on to him his, his end of what happens to him. It says he will oppose and he will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped so that he sets himself up in God's temple proclaiming him to himself to be God. So this is what Jesus referred to as the abomination of desolation. It's, it just means that there is going to come a day when Satan will build a statue of himself literally in the physical temple in Jerusalem to be worshipped because, watch this, there is a battle over worship. Okay, we're going to talk about the Antichrist and what happens with him in the end later in another message. But listen, here's the thing. In Revelation chapter 13, it says, because of the sign that the Antichrist was given power to perform on behalf of the first beast, it received the inhabitants of the earth. It ordered them to set up, watch this, an image in the honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. So he sets up this idol of himself in the temple because he wants to be worshipped. And the second beast was given the power to give breath to the first beast so that the image could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. So just like Nebuchadnezzar, he will will motivate you to worship not because you want to, but because you're afraid. So he forces everybody, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or on their foreheads. It's your choice. You got to wear the mark of the beast at one place or the other, if you're going to buy or sell. 
So you can't buy anything. See, this becomes the currency. It's all about worship. And so the name of the beast or the number of his name, 666, the Bible describes it later. So it's this mark that you're going to take on. All right? So that's all kind of complicated, but here's the thing about the number of the beast. Everybody's worried about it, but it's going to be obvious. When credit cards first came out, oh, it's numbers. We're buying stuff. It's the number of the beast. All right? Your phone. Oh, we can buy stuff with that now, and it's in our hand. And so what if that's the number of the beast? You know? Here's the thing. It is going to be an obvious choice for you to worship that instead of God. Okay? You're not going to die. And then get to the pearly gates, and God say, whoop, sorry, credit cards were the number of the beach. beast. You got tricked. You're out. Okay? It's going to be an obvious choice for, for your worship to take the mark of the beast. Just like this was an obvious choice for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to actually bow down to this idol because there is a war for your worship. Okay? It's nothing more than a, than a battle for your worship. It's more than just music. Worship is talking about what you give worth to. That's what worship means. What do you give worth to? All right? So what do I give worth to in my life? What do you give worth to? More importantly, is there something in our life that we give more worth to than God and his kingdom and the purposes of his kingdom? All right? Satan, he just wants you to worship anything other than God. So he will cause you to find things that you think are worthy of worship. That's why we have this hedonistic society today. It, it just simply means that you determine what's good based upon your feelings. So if you, well, you think it's good for you, and that's just the way God made me, and that's the way I feel. And so look, don't judge me. It's just the way I feel. You believe what you want to believe. I'll believe what I want to believe. And so that's the way we're going to play, is everybody's just going to do what's good based upon their feelings, and we're not going to have any standard at all anymore. That's literally the culture that we live in today. And there are even churches that fall in suit. They fall into this. You know, we don't want to tell the truth because that's kind of judgmental. And so we're just going to include every God and everybody's belief because God is a God of love. Yes, he is a God of love, but he's also a God of justice and he has a perfect standard. And we have to be careful setting ourselves up by, as God by doing that. Okay? Here's the other thing is Satan... Doesn't, if, if Satan, Satan doesn't want you to give your worship to anything else but him, all right? If, you, if God can't get it, he's gonna, he is going to, to entice you with other things. Sports, hunting, shopping, lust, you know, it's a trick of the devil to get you off of the point of worshiping the one and true living God. He's the only one worth, worthy of our worship. It's a trick, and it will be a last day's test, there is a battle for your worship, all right? So now that we understand that there is a battle for our worship and it's been from the very beginning and it will actually end that way as well, let's go back to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and see how they dealt with this battle over worship, okay? Join Pastor Micah Sundays in person at 9 or 11 a.m. at Living Word Family Church in Wake Forest. Visit us at livingstrongradio.com. That's living spelled with an I-N-G, strongradio.com. And now, back to Pastor Micah. Daniel 3.16, what did these guys do? All right, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, we don't need to defend ourselves before you. I I love that response. Look, We don't have to yell, scream, protest, picket. We don't have to defend ourselves because if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, watch this, 
The God that we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. And watch this. In that moment, as we're getting ready to see, it actually didn't get better for them. It got worse. It got worse. Have you ever been there? Where you stood up for what you believed in and you stepped out to do what you knew that you were supposed to do and it actually got worse? Well, listen, that was the situation they were getting ready to go into, but they were so determined in who they worshiped and who they trusted that they added this statement onto the end of it. I don't want you to miss this, okay? I love this next line. And even if he does not, we want you to know that we are not going to bow no matter. We are not going to serve your gods or worship the image of God of gold that you have set up. We are not going to do it, King. And I'm telling you, church, don't be deceived. There is coming a day when you will be put to the test. I will be put to the test of something that will test our faith. There is a battle for your worship. And my question is, what are we going to do about it? And I'm encouraging you to direct your worship to the only one that has ever deserved it. Don't let your faith waver, even in the, in the face of horrible consequences, that you are going to stand for your faith and what you believe, because that is what believers do. Amen? So Nebuchadnezzar, um, he was not excited at the fact that they dis- disregarded his order. And if you think that he was upset then, he's furious now with these three guys. And so in chapter 3... and. Uh, verse 19, he has the furnace heated up seven times hotter than it had ever been heated up before. Now watch this. Some of the strongest soldiers in the army tied up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to throw them into this blazing fire. Verse 21. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. And the king's command was so urgent, and the furnace was so hot, that the flames of fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. So I don't want you to miss this, okay? The strong, these strong, mighty men that threw them in, they died. It was so hot that they died. Just being close to it caused them to die. Wow. So the king, the king thinks now, well, I've taken care of everything because if these guys die a horrific death, you know, nobody else is going to challenge me, so I've dealt with it. While the king's men are celebrating, something catches the king's eye in the furnace. Watch this. In verse 24, it says, When King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, Hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. Weren't there three men that we tied and threw up into the fire? And they replied, Certainly, your majesty. And he said, Look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound, unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of of the gods. <laughs> it's the only way he knew how to describe it. He says, it looks like God's son. Now, I want to stop here for just a second. And I, want you, I want to just picture this. The king and his men, they think everything's over. Their history, their toast, pun intended. 
They're celebrating. Everything's going great. Nebuchadnezzar looks in, sees four people in, the, in, in there, and the, somehow the only thing that burned up were the ropes that had them bound. So they're moving around freely, and they're having a blast, and they're singing, we didn't start the fire. <laughs> I, don't know what they, I don't know what they were singing, but they were having, they had to be having the time of their life because the Son of God is in there with them. Now watch this, in verse 26. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and, shout, and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. And if it had been me, I would have said, I'm sorry, I can't hear you. Can you come a little closer? <laughs> but they didn't. Can I tell you that there are sometimes in my life, and I imagine in your life, where when I do what I know to be right, and it doesn't get better, it gets worse. I have to make sure that I realize that there's always going to be a fourth person in the fire with me. That there's always going to be somebody in the fire with me. And I have never known somebody to lose who never, ever gave up because they knew that God was with them even in the middle of the fire. And I think it's extremely pertinent that they were, their faith was so strong that they even started out saying, even if God doesn't, we will be faithful in who we worship. But before that, they said, God will. So it wasn't that they didn't have faith, that that was like a clause. It was, they said, we know God will, but we want you to know that even if he didn't, we don't care. And so here's the thing, is sometimes when you're going through that flame and you're going through that fire, all you need is to realize that there's a fourth, there's the Son of God with you in that fire. And it can help you get through that. And so often we forget that he's there and all we can focus on is the fire itself. And because they trusted in God, it's amazing what happened that day. And not only what happened to them and their own deliverance, what's amazing to me is what happened to not only King Nebuchadnezzar, but also the nation and the culture. Because they walk out of the furnace. And I guarantee you that this moment, all the men and the people in the court that were there, they were crowded around, including King Nebuchadnezzar, that they would pause frozen in awe. And then suddenly everybody would crowd around them. And the Bible says the fire had not harmed a hair on their head. Their robes were not scorched. They didn't even smell like smoke. When God steps in, he doesn't mess around. And it says that the king, he totally, completely changes his tune. Watch this. He says, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. And get ready, because watch this, this next verse. It should motivate us to make sure that God is a priority and that we worship him and him alone in the nation that we live in. This pagan king, in verse 29, he says, Therefore, I make a new degree, a decree that the people of any nation or language who says anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he's still violent, watch this, will be cut into pieces and their houses will be turned into piles of rubble. For there is no other God that can save this way. He's still extremely violent, but talk about a transformation. The decree for a whole nation is totally changed. Why? Because three men refused to bow and worship anybody else. And I imagine that that week in Babylon, on Craigslist, there was an ad for a 90-foot 
golden statue, slightly used. And Nebuchadnezzar changed everything, not because of a social media campaign or a march or a majority vote. The king changed his mind, watch this, because of bold, uncompromising faith of three men who stood together in the face of death itself. There is a battle for air worship, just like there was a battle for their worship. And they stood strong in what they believed, and they changed a whole nation. And I wonder what's on the line in our nation, in our workplace, in our school, in our neighborhood. If we just had the courage and boldness just to stand for God, man, that could be a game changer for our world, the world that we live in. And look, First Peter chapter 4 says, Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Here it is in the New Testament, and it gives us this phrase, fiery trial, that just begs us to look back at the story in Daniel chapter 3. You see, we're all in a fiery furnace with something that's going on in our lives. So here's the bottom line of this message, that the ultimate battle in the last days and in your life today is over what you worship. That is the last great test of your life. And the greatest test of our culture is, do we have the guts to love our God and stand for what we believe no matter what? So how do we know, though? Like, how do we do that? If we were going to give ourselves a worship checkup, I mean, what would that look like? What I just want to submit to you that Jesus is the standard. And he actually gives us one powerful verse, literally, that he says the whole Bible is summed up in this single command. Scholars call it the great commandment. And it's found in a lot of places, but in Mark chapter 12, verse 30, Jesus says, love God, love the Lord your God. Well, how, Jesus? Define it. With all your heart and all your soul. That's the first way. You want to love God, worship God? Where's your heart and soul? And he says, then I want you to worship the Lord your God with all your mind. Well, how do you do that? I'll show you in just a minute. And then I want to love you to love the Lord your God with all your strength. Heart and soul, mind and strength. So let's give all of us, myself included, a little worship checkup, okay? Let's see if we're part of the deceived, because I think all of us can be subject to it and not even know it. Maybe we just don't see it, and that's why we have prophecy and preaching, and we have God's Word to really bring us in line and to warn us and to encourage us, and that's what I'm, I'm attempting to do today. So what's heart and soul? I want to say heart and soul is simply your affections or your emotions, and so the question's simple. Where are your emotions going? Where are your emotions going? I could ask it this way. What do you love or hate the most? What are you expressing love or hate the most? See, if we're not careful, we'll let the passions of our life actually overstep our worship and our passion for God. So where are your emotions? What are you emotional about? Just a little checkup, okay? So let's look at the next one. The next test is your mind. Your mind talks about your attention and your thoughts. What are you thinking about the most? And I want to submit to you that what you think about the most has become what you worship the most. And I want you to know that there is a spirit that's trying to get your attention away from God and goodness and his goodness. All right, so the last thing that Jesus said is your strength 
or your abilities. That means what are you doing for God? It's amazing we put so much energy into other activities. See, God says you can have other loves, but you just can't have any other loves above me. What are we doing for God? And is that priority in our lives? That's why we give you opportunities to serve in his house. And here's the thing. The battle in the last days is going to be for what you worship. Join us Sunday morning at Living Word Family Church in Wake Forest. Check out our podcasts and sign up for free inspirational clips from Pastor Micah at livingstrongradio.com. That's living spelled with an I-N-G, strongradio.com. We would love to connect with you and pray for you at Living Word Family Church, Wake Forest, where we are building strong families.